Christian Jovanovsky is a graduate student at the University of Melbourne who in his spare time runs a charity and edits the Maths Society magazine. His two big loves are experiencing the impossible made possible and strawberries. <laughs> Tonight he's speaking on the first topic, Christian. Picture the scene. It's 1913. Let's go back exactly a hundred years ago. At this time, the first cigarette packages came out, camel cigarettes. And the first crosswords came out in newspapers. And so to, well, to compensate for the decreased productivity around the world, the Ford Motor Company comes up with the first moving assembly line, thus ushering in what we now know as mass production. It also happened to be the year that Canberra started being built, which explains why we had this massive um, multi-teetered whale balloon thingy floating above our capital earlier this year. But also, in cold, miserable England, in the stony walls of Cambridge University, a famous English mathematician called George Hardy, or better well known as G.H. Hardy, receives a, a rather strange letter from some random clerk in India. He opens this letter to find 10 pages filled with around 100 theorems on all sorts of areas in maths. Now, Hardy's first reaction upon looking at this letter was, what the hell? Who the hell's this fraud? Now, you might think, well, such a reaction might be rather strange, but as anyone might know, famous mathematicians sometimes get letters from batshit crazy people. <laughs> and I mean, I'm not a famous person, nor am I a mathematician, but even I have had some letters from batshit crazy people. <laughs> I guess I'm just unlucky. But in this case, Hardy took a... So I had a second thought. He had closer inspection. He consulted with his old mate, another famous English mathematician, John Littlewood. And upon looking at these theorems a little more closely, they started to look legit. So legit that they concluded that these theorems must be true. Because if they weren't, they couldn't have been thought up. They were too good to be imagined. Now, the significance of this seemingly small occasion is like, well, is to the world of maths, as if in the world of music, Mozart suddenly one day receives a letter from some random German called Ludwig van Beethoven, and that letter contains his Ninth Symphony. I guess you're all wondering, who's behind these theorems? I mean, that's more like asking who's the most badass mathematician of all time. <laughs> Now, I don't know whether you've all watched this movie, but you've probably heard of Goodwill Hunting in some way. Now, even if you haven't heard of it, I'm going to tell you the plot, so don't worry, I'm not going to lose you. So it stars a young and attractive Matt Damon, and he's a janitor at MIT. And what he, what's unknown to everyone is that while he's a bit socially awkward, and he hasn't had any formal education. After all, he is a janitor. What, he, he seems to be an 
undiscovered mathematical genius who in his spare time while he's cleaning up uh, lecture theater after lecture theater, he fills out and answers unknown uh, mathematical problems which have been left on the MIT blackboards. So when some MIT professors finally catch on to the fact that a janitor is doing all of these amazing uh, mathematical feats, uh, the character Matt Damon plays, who's called Will, suddenly becomes a mathematical superstar. But uh, much to the shock of these professors, he seems to shun all the academic glories that come from being such an amazing mathematician. Now, in that movie, there's a particular scene I want to draw your attention to. It's just after Will gets discovered, and two professors are discussing uh, how big this guy could possibly be. And he gets compared to some random guy called Srinivasa Ramanujan, who is an Indian guy, and they make sure to clarify what kind of Indian he is, with a casual racist remark that he's an Indian of dots and not feathers. <laughs> well, this laboratory story is all about this guy, Ramanujan, whose badass mathematical feat was to play the game Goodwill Hunting, if it could be a game, on hard mode, on God mode. And I'll explain why. So Ramanujan, he starts life in a village 400 kilometers away from Madras in South India. That's already pretty hard because he's born into poverty. He has a respectable family, but still, poverty in India is incredibly tough. If that wasn't bad enough, at the age of two, bam, there's a smallpox epidemic which comes around to his neighborhood, killing thousands of kids. But luckily, Ramanujan survives, even though it means he basically has a, well, a greatly reduced standard of health for the rest of his life. Now, Ramanujan encounters math just at the age of 10, because after all, he lives in a village, he has no formal education. But soon enough, he finds out that he's insanely good at it. So good at it that when he's 11 years old and two college students happen to lodge at his parents' place, he exhausts all of their knowledge in maths pretty quickly. And so his parents see, uh, see what's going on and they're like, okay, let's give him this book on advanced trigonometry. Well, Ramanujan soon, soon enough learns the hell out of that book too. And because advanced trigonometry is apparently so piss easy for him, he starts making up his own theorems at the age of 13. Now, most kids around his age are probably wondering about hair growing in places they've never seen before, <laughs> but he's busy inventing new math. Now, eventually, he does go to high school for a bit, and he does well. He tops his school, but it's not really a formal education because most of the time, all of the other students are just like, they're in awe at him. They just, they don't understand him, but they're just in awe at what he can do. So easily enough, he wins a college scholarship. But in India at those times, the scholarships to these colleges tended to be for courses like fine arts, where you had to study mathematics, but all of these other subjects, 
which Ramanujan really had no time for, such as art history, fungus biology, physiology. And so, well, he fails them. He fails most of his subjects except the ones concerning with math. After all, he is inventing math in his spare time. But that means he gets kicked out of college. So the next year, when he's 19 years old, he applies to another college and he gets another scholarship. But again, he fails and it's again on a fine arts exam. So at the age of 20, without a college degree, he drops out of college and decides not to pursue education any further. He has got no time for that nonsense. He decides to instead pursue his independent and largely unrecognized research. The thing is, this decision sends him into abject poverty, and he's often at the brink of starvation. And to make things worse, he also happens to be a massive mama's boy. <laughs> what I mean by this is, well, his mom decides to arrange a marriage for him, as happens in India. But she decides to arrange a marriage uh, for him with a nine-year-old girl. Now, I'm 21, so if I looked around, and it would be like my mother was here and she was looking around for a nine-year-old to set me up with. I mean, for all Ramanujan's genius, he never seems to have come across the half-your-age-plus-seven rule. <laughs> now, on the day of his wedding, his dad, for some reason, which is never really explained in history, can't make it. In fact, Ramanujan and his mother are actually running late for his own wedding. They're running so late, in fact, that the parents of the poor nine-year-old girl start considering another suitor. They're doing this just in case, because in Indian culture, there's quite a lot of stigma attached to a girl whose husband doesn't rock up to the wedding. But luckily enough, they do make it on time, and Ramanujan does get married to this nine-year-old girl. Now, I know what you're all thinking. You must be thinking that his mom's pretty sick. Well, not exactly, because she makes sure that they never sleep together while, while she's young. So essentially, the girl has to stay home until puberty. And then even when she does come over, she never lets them share the same bed. And in fact, it's quite possible that they never ever consummated their marriage. Now, I mean, for most of us, that might be quite a lousy relationship. But for Ramanujan, it seemed to be fine. He seemed to be cool with it. Now, another factor that might have contributed to this was just around the time that he got married, well, one of his balls almost exploded. He had a blocked uh, vessel, and the routine surgical procedure that could have helped him was, well, he was poor, right? So his family couldn't afford it. And so Ramanujan fears for the worst. He sends what little he's written in some notebooks to some friends to keep just in case he dies. But luckily, at the last moment, a doctor agrees to do the operation for free and Ramanujan lives to see another day. Now, Ramanujan's in his 20s, 
and he starts trying, trying his luck. He wants to send off his works to some famous, well-known mathematicians who live in India and see, well, if he can get some recognition for what he considers is some pretty cool math. Unfortunately, he gets no, he either gets no reply or he gets, or the people who receive his letters think he's a hoax, or they simply think, well, I don't understand this. I don't get this. And that's probably understandable because no human had ever written this kind of math before. It didn't help that Ramanujan, when he did his working and came to his solution, when he proved something, he'd rub out most of his working and he'd just leave the final proof. Now, this led to rumors that he was so incredible that he could do all of this intellectual gymnastics. And okay, to be fair, he could. But the reason why was he wanted to save paper. So he wrote on slate for most of the time and his elbow became so black just from rubbing out all of the things that he wrote on slate. And essentially paper was very expensive to him. So he wanted to make sure that he conserved as much paper as he could. Of course, this didn't help him when he was trying to get recognition. But eventually, some of his books start being passed around by people who can at least recognize that, hey, there might be a genius here. And eventually, a couple of his works actually start getting published in some obscure Indian mathematical journals. And Ramanujan, at last, manages to find a job. Well, it's not really a special job. He finds a job as a clerk for a princely sum of 20 rupees per month. And then the following year, when he's 25, he trades it up for another clerk, uh, clerkship, which is essentially uh, 30 rupees per month. Now, he's starting to get a little more confidence. Now he's got a bit of financial security. Yes, it's not a lot of money, but it's better than zero, which is what he tended to live on. And with the encouragement of some uh, uh, mathematical figures in India who started to recognize his talent, he begins to write to folks overseas, in particular the University of Cambridge. So he sends off a few letters and of course these mathematicians who are helping him out, you know, they're trying to change a few things which they think will impress these people and in the process are sort of stuffing up his equations. So the first two letters he sends don't get a reply. The third one, however, arrives at the desk of G.H. Hardy and returns us to the beginning of our story. Now, Hardy and um, Littlewood both look at this. They're not idiots. And they look at his theorems on those 10 pages, uh, that 10-page letter, and they conclude, oh, wow, his power level must be over 9,000. And, well, they do what anyone do does, and they decide, hey, why don't you come over? They invite him over to Cambridge. Now, it's not that simple. Because Ramanujan is a devout Hindu. And in Hindu theology, at least his interpretation of Hindu theology, he, uh, Hindus are not supposed to cross a deep, dark sea, such as the one which exists between India and England. Well, at least the English Channel, but, you know, it's a sea. Now, the thing is, even if Ramanujan all of a sudden said, stuff this, I don't like being Hindu and I want to go to Cambridge, 
essentially, he decides, well, he can't because he's a mama's boy. <laughs> and his mum's a devout Hindu. So in essence, he prays in his despair and he prays and prays to this Hindu goddess to whom his parents had once prayed to give them a son. And finally, his mum gets a dream out of nowhere, a divine revelation where Ramanujan sits around at this throne with a giant halo around his head, surrounded by white people. So his mum takes this as a sign, okay, he can go to Cambridge, and so off he goes. He becomes a mathematical superstar in no time, and he gets all sorts of accolades. He finally gets a college degree, a BEA at, in maths at Cambridge, just for his mathematical works. And he becomes a fellow of the Royal Society at the incredibly young age of 30. And he's such an arithmetic genius that he becomes known as the Hindu calculator. <laughs> but now comes the end of our story, and that's sort of where the tragedy lies. Because Ramanujan, for his mathematical genius, wasn't really competent as a person. I'll explain. So two instances, particularly, which are, have quite some serious consequences. So the first is that he's a hardcore vegetarian, and as Hindus uh, sometimes are, and he doesn't trust any non-Hindus to prepare his food. And England is infested with non-Hindus. <laughs> so he sets out to prepare his food himself, and because he's so competent, that often means he just has no time to make himself any food. So he starves a lot of the time just because he's so focused on his maths. Another problem is he starts complaining to his friends, oh, I feel really cold here in England. And okay, it's England, it's cold and miserable. But he wasn't really helping himself by sleeping on top of the bed rather than underneath the blankets, simply because he was used to doing that in India. Of course, all of this took its toll and he contracted TB and he pretty much essentially wasn't fit really to continue his maths. He recovered and then finally uh, he decided to go back to India for a bit, but tragically at just the age of 32 he died, possibly of TB or another or something like a liver infection. His wife on the other hand who hadn't actually reached uh, Ramanujan's age when he married her yet, lived on to see 94. Now, Ramanujan's achievements are wide and varied, and I don't have enough time to really discuss uh, where his achievements uh, are, but I can just say they span everything from uh, crystallography through to string theory. He even has a, there is even a journal named in his honor just deciphering his maths and working out uh, what on earth he was doing. And he was just so badass that Hardy even came up with the scale to quantify just how good a mathematician he was. So Hardy rated himself on a, zero, uh, on a scale of 0 to 100 of pure mathematical talent. Hardy gave himself a modest 25. He gave his mate Littlewood about a 30. He gave David Hilbert, who's one of the most well-known mathematicians uh, of the past few centuries, an 80. Guess what he gave Ramanujan? A 100. 